Welcome to Human Tech, a podcast about the intersection between humans and technology. My name is Guthrie, and I'm here with Susan. Hi. Hello, Guthrie. Uh, and you want to introduce our special guest today? Yeah, we have a guest I'm really excited about. We have Dana Chisnell. And um, Dana, I don't know that you and I have ever like really had a conversation. I think we've We've like crossed paths at conferences and we've heard each other speak maybe, but I don't know that we've ever like taken some time to just talk, have we? Or uh, now I'm going to be really embarrassed if you say, yeah, we talked for three hours that one night in Las Vegas at the blah, blah, blah conference and I don't remember. (laughs) No, I will not out you on, on anything like that. No, we have... We've been in the same place at the same time, but uh, it is true that I it, we've never really had a, a chance to have a deep and meaningful conversation. So I'm excited about getting to do this so, today. So our first deep and meaningful conversation, and hundreds or thousands of people can listen in. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? All right. So let's talk. Oh, there's so many things I want to ask you, so many different places to go. Let's start with... You uh, mentioned right before we we turned the recording on that you just started a new job. So why don't you tell us what the new role is and then maybe tell us what the previous role was. Okay. Uh, So I just started as a partner founder or founder partner. We haven't actually decided which order. It's so new. We haven't decided which order those things go in. Um, Partner founder. I'm going with that. Uh, At a... Um, civic incubator uh, we're calling our thing project redesign Um, the civic incubator is housed at the national conference on citizenship um, which uh, is about civic engagement not on immigration Um, so uh, this is a federally chartered nonprofit ncoc.org is a federally chartered Nonprofit. That means that Congress gave the stamp of approval to form this thing. Uh, it was officially chartered in 1953, but it was sort of whoa, yeah, founded uh, post-war by President Truman and President Eisenhower as a uh, to um, harness the the civic feelings and the engagement that communities had uh, in wartime and and immediately post-war. Wanted to harness especially the patriotism of veterans coming back to the United States and um, literally hold a conference every year about civic engagement and citizen involvement. Uh, But uh, this past couple of years, the board and uh, new leadership there uh, saw that uh, there was an opportunity right now to uh, try some new things to uh, engage people across the United States so that they would have the chance to f- participate fully in our democracy. Wow. And so, um, so you said say, you said National Council. Oh, what was National Conference on Citizenship. National conference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I said, they literally hold a conference every year. It is largely community-based organizations that work on civic engagement. Everything okay. from, you know, get out the vote to uh, participatory budgeting and a bunch of other 
nerdy things. Um, uh, but in addition to the conference, uh, they wanted to take some 21st century steps toward including more people in different ways. Wow. So how long have you been doing this new role? It's pretty new. Uh, yeah, it's really new. It just started at the beginning of February 2020. And so um, what my team is doing at Project Redesign is working on user-centered policy design. User-centered <laughs> policy design. Yeah. So uh, what know, does that mean? <laughs> it means almost what you think it means. Um, many of us be- have been practicing user-centered or human-centered design in uh in the private sector in companies and organizations for decades um but the way policy gets made is much is still far away from the from having a, a deep understanding of the lived experience that individuals are having every day uh and so policymakers tend to rely on academics and other experts to inform their problem definition. But design has really good tools for doing a much better job of that. Right. And what, is, what are the real problems? What are the real solutions? And and how are how are people experiencing those real problems? Right. Right. Um, so if you take the example of um, healthcare as an example. Um, when uh, the Affordable Care Act passed, uh, healthcare.gov was built. This took a few years, contrary to what you might think. It did take a a few years to actually happen. Uh, And when it rolled out, there were a number of issues. Those were resolved. Those were mostly engineering and technical issues, some usability problems that um, mostly have been overcome over the years. But a thing that nobody really thought about was there are now 20 million people who have insurance who have never had it before and they don't know how to use it. So while we've seen really great outcomes from healthcare.gov existing, people are healthier, they stay in their jobs longer, children are healthier and stay in schools longer, lots of good outcomes. Um, They could be even better if we'd been able to build into the policy ways to help people understand how to make the best use Mm. of this new benefit. Mm. And so those are the kinds of the things that we're looking at. It is um, proactive rather than reactive design. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm excited about that too. I have a, I have a question. Yes. So in this space, it just sort of feels like a lot of the specific problems that you're talking about this space happen to be some of the, I mean, I think maybe it's just public perception. I don't know if this is actually true. Um, things that work the worst. Uh, a lot of states in like getting people to vote is really hard and there are long lines and waits and frustrations Obviously, anything regarding healthcare, the marketplace, there were the frustrations, uh, the whole election process. There are frustrations. I feel like a lot of the stuff you're tech, uh, like like uh, the problems you're working on, are things that people just seem to dislike. 
not not because of the things are wrong, but just because of the institutions in the United States. These institutions seem to not be functioning very well. Do you think that's is, do, do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Do you think that common threads? Yeah, I do absolutely agree with you. Um, uh, the government that we have at the federal and the state level was designed in the 19th century, and it, um, you know, it really scaled during that time. Uh, and here we are in the 21st century, and it hasn't really caught up. Um, things that are not working well, things that are frustrating to uh, to the public, generally are not because somebody inside government uh, made a decision to make it hard or to make it frustrating. Uh, it is much more, in my experience at least, uh, that uh, that government interactions are frustrating because government inside is uh, under-resourced and um, has a very big challenge to update the systems and the practices uh, to deliver a better experience. Now, you talked about voting in elections. That's That was my previous job. That was at the Center for Civic Design where I was and founded with uh, Whitney Quisenberry in 2013. Uh, and um, uh, there we worked on ensuring that people could vote the way they intend by design. Did tons of really great research, worked with thousands of local election officials at the state, county, and town levels to help them up their design IQ so they could do a better job on the ground. Uh, and almost all of them, all of them who we worked with, work really hard at making voting easier for people, getting access to the ballot easier for people, people who are eligible. <laughs> um, the uh, the things that you see that make voting hard for people usually um, have to do with political agendas. And you can see them clustered in, in specific parts of the country. Uh, they're definitely voting cultures. So if you look in the West, California, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, super progressive. Like now, if you live in those places, you just get sent a ballot in the mail and a voter guide. And there's tons of plain language, beautiful information about what's gonna be on the ballot, who the candidates are, what the propositions are, how to get more information. And you get basically 30 days to vote. Um, mark your ballot at your kitchen table and uh, drop it in a drop box. Uh, if you vote in the South, uh, there are many more uh, challenges. Uh, voters, they're much more burdened. Uh, and uh, that comes back to our history as a country. You know, I was, and and I, I think I told you this probably, I don't know, did I tell you this maybe in a quick two-second conversation or maybe an email at one point, uh, or maybe I didn't. <laughs> I really enjoyed, we were at, we were both at, uh, and Guthrie was there too, at the Midwest UX conference in Chicago, not this past one, but I think the one before. And uh, you gave that uh, that great talk with the, the wonderful 
journey map diagrams of, um, you know, here's the here's the process that the state of California, um, you know, voting, whatever the state organization is that is in charge of voting. Here's what they th they think the process is that people go through, and and here's the actual process that people go through. Yeah. And, so uh, you know, and that was just such a great. Diagram. It was just a great, great talk and a great diagram. Just oh, to, thank you. To point out. Um, yeah, I like I'm that one too. I remember that one. I talk about that. I, I'm like I teach, uh, you know, a course each semester at University of Wisconsin as an adjunct, and then I also obviously you know give workshops. But I'm oh, I talk about you and I talk about that talk and just how, you know, what a great example of, you know, here's what very well-meaning, very dedicated people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, think the process is, and then, you know, it's not, you know, the real process is, you know, what, what they said was steps one, two, three, four, five. That's not the order that the, the people go through to, in order yeah. to investigate a ballot and vote. So, yeah, that was, I just thought that was a great example. That was a really fun study. We did that the first time in 2012, leading up to the presidential election. Uh -huh. and, and how we got to that was. Uh, we did two things. One was we went out and looked at 145 county election websites and just based on geography made the determination. We used that as a proxy for what we thought election officials thought was important to tell people yeah. top left to bottom, right? Yeah. And then we did uh, interviews and usability tests with people where we asked them, what are your biggest questions leading up to the election? And then go to your county website and try to find the answers to that. And um, it was incredibly illuminating. Um, our findings were really shocking to local election officials. Uh, and uh, we've, we've done versions of that study since then. And those findings still hold. Yeah. Yeah. It's, re it's really interesting. Well, I'm not surprised. You're not surprised? Yeah. All right. I, I have a question for you. Okay. So you were talking about you know, I, I was thinking as you were talking about the, the new organization you're working with and what you're working on there. And I would think that, you know, working in the public sector like this has has some similarity in terms of, you know, problems, obstacles, difficulties, doing this kind of work, you know, user-centered work in the public se sector in the in the with the types of problems public policy problems and there's some similarities between what it's like to try and do that work in the public sector versus the private for sure and i would think there's also some differences yeah. between you know what what the obstacles are do you, and i know you just started working on this but what what do you do you what you know you have any ideas about what's similar what's different yeah, I do. I mean, I worked in the private sector, mostly in the financial sector, mm -hmm. um, with banks and insurance companies and tech companies uh, before I started working with government. Uh, and um, I was lucky because I got to be in as a consultant most of the time. So somebody decided that having somebody around who was paying attention to users was a good idea. Um, but uh, I often encountered uh, uh, resistance in those companies to 
spending time with users, learning from them, even doing things as simple as usability testing, um, because it, you know, it slows the process down. Uh, so over the last uh, several years, I've had the chance to work with lots of government folk um, uh, at CCD uh, with local election officials at the state and county level. Uh, and in Massachusetts where I live uh, with election officials at the town and city level. Uh, but also for a couple of years, I uh, did a tour of duty uh, at the uh, Obama White House in the US Digital Service. And while I was there, I spent most of my time working with US Citizenship and Immigration Services, helping them on a massive digital transformation from all paper processes to all digital processes. So I was making software for the immigration officers. And when I arrived, it was like 1985. <laughs> it wasn't literally 1985. No, it was literally uh, 2014. <laughs> but it seemed like it was 1985. It felt like 1985 because it felt like the banks and insurance companies that I'd worked with in 1985. <laughs> and yeah. uh, because nobody, knew anything about user-centered design. It hadn't occurred to anyone there who was working on this massive enterprise software uh, effort uh, that if you involved users, that uh, the development was gonna be faster and better. <laughs> and yeah, that's that, so strange though, because there are some- some parts of the federal government that have been doing user-centered design for a very long time. Yeah. yeah. Like Social Security, yeah. I know, has. Social Security Administration is best in class, and they've yeah. had an excellent reputation and excellent uh, coordination across all the channels for, for decades. In fact, while I was, uh, while I was at the White House uh, working with immigration, a friend of mine who um, uh, is a branding uh, a specialist uh, just became eligible to start collecting social security benefits. And she, she called me up completely randomly one afternoon saying, do you know the people who work at social security? And I was like, I know some people there. Yeah. Why? And she says, please tell them that it is the best government experience I've ever had. And I said, is that because you expected it to be terrible and it was better than terrible <laughs> Or was it genuinely good? And she's like, no, it was it was genuinely excellent. And uh, and she was relieved at the same time. Uh, but that is true. Social Security has had a had a great uh, focus on yeah. user centeredness for a long time. Uh, yeah. And there are a few other pockets of of government that do a pretty good job. The Department of Veterans Affairs has come a long way in the last five or six years. Uh, including consolidating more than a thousand websites and several, I'm going to say like three to five different logins for different mm -hmm. programs uh, all into one, uh, one enrollment, one login, one website. You know, we were in, um, we were overseas in Europe a couple of years ago and we were having a conversation with, our hosts, and we were talking about, you know, government, um, just, you know, government services and, and people who, 
who do, you know, tech work or UX work in the government space that, that are government employees and uh, versus private in their in their country. And he, they, the conversation was interesting. And I still think about it and talk about it with people, because one of the things they said, they were talking about like the government, there was some people wanted the government to privatize, you know, something or other. And the general feeling was, well, no, you wouldn't want to do that because the government is much better mm -hmm. at running and creating technology solutions than the private sector is. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they said, yeah. I mean, I said, is that like a general impression? Oh, yeah. Everybody knows that if the government is running it and the government is designing whatever it is, it's going to be much easier to use and better designed than if the private sector is. And and I, you know, I, I was like, wow, that's different. And then the, the the other comment was, well, you know, they they get all the best people. Everybody yeah. wants to work for yeah. the government. And I was it's just thinking over country. here, that's like, that is just doesn't see, to, at least my impression is that that's not how, you know, the government departments in general are viewed. And the general, I mean, whether it's true or not, it, right. and maybe this is just my impression, but my impression is that most people in the U.S. or a lot of people in the U.S. think that the really good people, you know, the good designers, the good UX people, the good programmers, whatever, they're in the private sector, not in the public sector, and for a variety of reasons. And that, you know, the best examples are in the private sector, not the public sector. Do you, do you think I'm, am I off base here or? No, I think that's the general perception. Uh, and to some extent, at least until recently, that was, that was true. And you're uh, going to change it all. <laughs> well, it's changing already. Uh, it started changing really, I'm going to say, with uh, efforts like Code for America and uh, other things that bubbled up at about the same hold, time. Hold on, hold on. Are you being optimistic <laughs> about government services? Because that well, that is maybe out of out of all the people we've had on all the podcasts, that's maybe the yeah. boldest. What is position? I think we've. What's ever the had. boldest position? Um, <laughs> that after like eighty years of fairly poorly designed and uh, shoestring budget and overly complicated government systems in the United States that we've turned a corner? Yeah, I really think so. Uh -huh. um, this is a bipartisan uh, this is this is a bipartisan agreement that um, Good technology, well implemented with attention to user needs, uh, can save money and deliver services more efficiently to the public well, than what we're doing right now. And that means that you need to have people in government who are paying attention to user needs and uh, designers on the are on the front lines of that. So my impression was always that like the people like the people who were working in these government sectors like they're they are talented are they the most talented 
people, maybe not, but like, it's not like there are really good, smart people working on these problems. My understanding was that it doesn't, it sort of doesn't matter because they're given Im an impossible task. <laughs> so for, you know, and I don't want to use healthcare.gov because it's just one example and there are many, many much better examples, but I'm just going to use it because it's really the only one I know about. You know, they were tasked with, hey, you need to coordinate like 14 different se separate software systems that don't talk to each other. More than that, actually. Yeah, and there's 50 states, and then you have to <laughs> yep. communicate to the insurance company. And it's like, basically, like, you know, if we're doing design, you know, we, could, we, we, we work with a lot of companies, and they have talented UX designers, and the end product often isn't good, but it's not their fault. It's because they were, it's like, okay, well, uh, okay, so go make the design better, but also you can't do A, B, C, or D, and because of yeah. kind of code restrictions, you can't do E, F, or G either, and uh, we definitely don't have any budget to do any user testing, or you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, so totally. it's great that it's a priority, but I just, that my problem is, but the, but the devil has always been with the the complex restrictions and requirements. Yeah, the way technology gets made in government is different from uh, how technology works in the private sector. Um, uh, it is generally not made in-house. It is usually uh, the product of vendors. So to take the healthcare.gov example, there were a lot of contracting companies involved in that. They were not talking to each other because like there were actually incentives built into the procurement system to prevent them from doing that. Uh, there wasn't anybody inside government who was integrating uh, those projects, those individual projects to pull things together. And as you rightfully point out, there are 50 states that the exchange had to interact with too. And each one of those does it in a different way for their own um, legal and political reasons. And so like this was a monumentally difficult task just if you look at those kinds of technological logistics. Then you throw in a, uh, a political environment where Congress actually shut down twice during the development of that, which meant that government contractors don't get paid while the government shuts down. And uh, the money wasn't released until about nine months before. So uh, that, that the thing um, was ready for any kind of launch on uh, the day that it was scheduled is kind of a miracle, actually. Uh, and uh, people worked really hard to fix it after it right. did launch. We learned a lot of lessons since then. That was 2013. But that, you know, but that was at the federal level. But that same story in every state and all the local county websites, at, like it's it's sort of up and down the board. I mean, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah, I, there there have been very, very, very few cases where I had to sign up, register, change an address, do something at a government you know portal, and it yep. was smooth, easy, blah blah blah. This is starting to change. 
So if you start looking at state-level websites, for example, uh, Georgia, Georgia.gov is a, is a great example. They've put a ton of work into understanding what people come to the website for and who is coming and how often and what they need. And there's a big commitment on the part of the executive office, in this case, the governor, and, uh, and his team and, uh, and government generally in that state to uh, make it as easy as possible to get services through the website. Um, local governments like uh, the city of Boston has a beautiful website at boston.gov that is under constant review and updating for services. Uh, and this is, uh, this is happening more and more. So uh, now there are teams that are dedicated to delivering better services through better technology and better design in a whole bunch of places. Uh, Colorado just uh, announced it has a new digital services team. New Jersey has one. Uh, California is standing up an innovation office that is uh, consolidating uh, needs-based uh, eligibility and, um, and delivery of, of services like SNAP and, and WIC. Uh, and the idea there, things that uh, all these states are trying to do, is to uh, consolidate the experience in a way that you can get services without having to have 1 million logons based on which agency you're interacting with. And so you don't have to learn how government is organized to get what you need from it. You can um, look at it as a, you can use it as a platform. Yeah, um, you know, so this I, is happening uh -huh. a lot more. Uh-huh. See, this, look, I'm just saying, I just went to georgia.gov to try to get a fishing license. And it is still the part again. Part of the problem is to get a fishing license in the state of Georgia is a very, very complex procedure, and that that is almost the problem. But if you want to file for unemployment, it's pretty easy. Ah, okay. I will I'll check unemployment. You just picked the wrong thing. I just maybe I just I was I was just I want you know I wanted to go but fishing. I, uh, yeah. So they're they're prioritizing projects based on yeah. the most people in the most need. Sure. So you know if you they don't if, care about you and fishing, Guthrie. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not the type of. You know, it's interesting though because I um, just oh, Department last of Labor. weekend. Yeah. See the Department of Labor in Georgia. Looks much newer than the. Right. I can tell it's a newer design than the Georgia yeah. than the uh, Georgia than the Department fishing. Of the fishing yep. They don't. They're not that into fishing down there. So, um, when when I this past weekend, I it's a long story about why I was looking for this, but I was looking for some examples of good and bad state websites, and. Uh, for a project that I'm not going to reveal yet. I'll Come reveal on. it. Uh, no, on a future podcast, I'm not ready to reveal it yet. So, um, and I will tell you, though, that I did this exact same exercise back in two, about 2012, 2011, 2012. And so I now, you know, many years later, right? What is that? Eight, nine years later, I'm going to, I checked out the, the good and bad state sites that I had used back 
eight mm-hmm. or nine years ago mm-hmm. and found that I, I couldn't use any of them as the bad anymore because they'd all been dramatically upgraded, thank goodness, after eight or nine years. So then I went around trying to, it's like, okay, I have lots of good examples now, but I need a couple of bad ones. I almost had to go through all 50 states to find what I thought was, you know, particularly bad, bad one. I finally found two that I thought were definitely not as good as the others, but I was pretty impressed that you had, I mean, not just that it was more updated, but that it really did seem that somebody was paying attention to what are the things that people are wanting to do, you know, when they come to the, to the main website of their state. So I, I can, I can see that, 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 that is better. And I also would imagine that, especially for the states, this might not be so true with different federal government sites that, that, you know, there's this, um, you know, keeping up with what the other state is doing, right? I mean, if you're, if you're, because the states are, they're really competitive in terms of, you know, getting people to move there and keeping business in their state and that kind of thing. And that they don't want to, you know, if they're even just at a very surface level, if they're, if their state's pages or their labor pages or their business pages or whatever don't look uh, contemporary. You know, they're going to, somebody there is going to be afraid that they don't look as good as their neighbor. I do think you're right. I think there is competition among the states, but I think they're also just seeing the cost savings and the efficiencies of self-service delivery on uh, responsive websites. Yeah. Yeah. So. I would think you could make an, it wouldn't be that hard to make an ROI case. Yeah. In some of these situations, but I do agree with Guthrie that I think you're you're more of an optimist. I don't, I don't, I couldn't have your job. Well, I see it from the inside, right? Mm-hmm. I get to work with people who are working in government every day, and I, I, I have the advantage of having seen the the inside and how uh, how hard people are working. Um, but there are also a couple of other things that I wanted to say about you know the the idea that maybe the best designers and engineers don't work for government. Um, I think that's changing a lot uh, for a bunch of reasons. One is old people like me are retiring from government and positions are opening up. Uh, And there there is a a generation that comes after me that is really uh, excited about uh, mission-driven work. And there is uh, an unending supply of that in in government. Uh, and there are a lot more uh, designers and engineers who are user-centered in that generation. Uh, and that's just how they work. One of the great things about uh, being an old person in the digital service was that people were coming from the private sector to work for government for the first time ever. You know, these are people who never thought they would do civil service ever, but there they were. And like they just expected user research to happen. They just expected usability testing Mm -hmm. to happen and they expected to take part in it, not, you know, stand on the sidelines. And so that those kinds of people coming into government is happening more and more. There's more and more demand for them. And um, 
they're changing the culture, which is great. Hmm. Yeah, I remember at some point I was talking to someone who said that, you know, like 50%, this was several years ago, but because of the, the distribution of ages in the government, I think it was federal government IT sector, they were anticipating that, you know, in the next 10 to 20 years, half of everyone yeah. was going to be retiring. That's right. Yep. So are, are you know, are, is, is this a good area? If you're, if, if you're graduating with a degree in, you know, UX or anything related to that, are there, are there entry-level jobs in government, do you think, for for UX people, because I, 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 you know, I teach, right? It, and and it's interesting what you said about people coming out with those skills, because the the program I teach in, it's in computer science, and but there, but you know, the students there, some of them are specializing in UX, but even the ones that aren't specializing in UX, they're getting user-centered design, human factors, user testing, user research. I mean, that's in the curriculum, which I think is wonderful. It's an undergraduate curriculum. It's all built in. So, um, but sometimes they still, I find, they're still having a hard time getting those entry-level jobs. Yeah, and there there are entry-level jobs in cities and states, governments. There are fewer entry-level jobs in federal government positions, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. in the uh, suppliers to government that do most of the software and technology mm -hmm. development, mm -hmm. there are quite a lot. And you could go to work for companies like IBM or Deloitte and um, be part of a, a big and supportive uh, digital or uh, UX or design team uh, and they're all working on really interesting uh, government projects. And this is a good launching pad to go get some experience and then go inside government, be a product manager. Mm. Can we, can we, um, can we, I, I, I am curious about the, because I don't know, I think a lot of people don't, can't, can't say behind the curtain. And so mm -hmm. I, I just want to kind of give you an experience and then you, and I'm curious to, for, for your, um, for you to for you to say okay so this is what would have to happen or this okay. is like for 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 them to fix it we could try this okay, okay go ahead go through all right game. uh susan can you go to wisconsin.gov i'm i live in the state of wisconsin she lives in the state of wisconsin her home state so wisconsin.gov has been recently updated right, it looks go nice Hold on. it's clean it looks modern uh, there's a video that plays with people on surfboards, biking. Um, oh, yeah. oh, look at that. He's on big, a, he's on a right in the middle. There's a big search. America's Dairyland. Okay. There's a big search bar and there are four things under the search bar, which I'm assuming are the most fishing license, Guthrie. fishing license, road construction, register business and driver's license. When I went to Wisconsin.gov, I told myself I'm going to do whatever the first thing is that they want to want me to click on. And there was and fishing license. Fishing license number one right there. So, okay, before anyone does anything, yeah. when you click on fishing license, yeah. what should happen? You should go to a page where you can find out about and apply for a fishing license. Okay, so click on fishing license if you would. Okay. Me. Okay, what happens? 
You came to a search results page. Okay, so far so bad. So let's <laughs> click. Although there were a lot of phishing things. Uh, there are 37,000 results when you search for phishing license. When you click on the oh, button that says phishing license, I get 38,400. Oh, weird. I only have 37. I got 37,300. Bizarre. Maybe it's because you're in the state of Wisconsin and there are pages that know. are only. Oh, could be. I don't, okay, so click on the first one. We're just gonna we're just gonna do fishing Wisconsin. We're just clicking on the first page. Okay. There's a picture of a dead fish. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've gone to dnr.wisconsin.gov. Yes. Looks like much older, uh, much more basic. Um, yes. You know, uh, whatever. Okay, so mm -hmm. now it says fishing license, a Wisconsin bargain. Uh, what's a great choice to fish? A number of convenient bargaining licenses. And so it says first time buyer's license. So would you like to click on that or would you like to click on get started? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do either. I guess I'm going to get started. Okay, so we will click on get started. It's in green. Okay. It's clearly where they want you to go. Okay, so we'll click on that. Now we've gone to a oh, no. different portal. This is really bad. Which is gowild.wisconsin.gov. Go wild. Now, before you do that, okay, because uh, uh, it, it does say look up your account. If you just click on the logo, so you can just go to their main page. Go wild. Yes, just go wild.wi.gov, right? Are you there? It has like a little bobber. Yeah, now a window popped up to tell me about their, how proud they are of the new design of their go wild homepage. Really? Now, it looks nice and modern, okay? Yeah. Yeah. But we're trying to get a fishing license. So if you just look at this main page, how do you get a fishing license? Well, first I have to close the pop-up. Well, okay, fine. Right? <sighs> so, I can't get the fishing license because I need an account. I have to... But hold on. Oh, yes, we, really we, know, we know we need an account. It says username and password. On the bottom, yeah. it says browse classes. It's quick and easy. Harvest reporting. Don't know what that is. Click and go renew now. Well, we can't renew because we don't have one. So yeah. we clearly need an account, but how can yeah. you create an account? Because there is no button to create an account. Oh God. The only place you can get it, I've already done this, is don't have one use account lookup, which would make account no sense because I don't have an account. But if you click on account lookup, you go to where the get started button took you before, where look up account is actually the page where you create your All account. All right, so, but the reality is Guthrie that it, this is actually all about fishing conservation, fish conservation. We don't want more people fishing here. So we purposely <laughs> made it really difficult because really, you know. Oh, that's so good. Oh, this, this, is, this, was, a, this <laughs> was a choice architecture behavioral economic strategy to <laughs> yes, discourage overfishing. To I love dissuade it. people love from it. going fishing. But that's, it. I could see why you got to that theory. Um, okay, so I'm not going to go most through. People just go to the local gas station and get a fishing license. Does it matter? This is this is the online portals that you know. So okay, okay. so so, so here, if anyone so... from the state of Wisconsin is listening, would you guys please fix this? They, well, no, they know, just they... redesigned their entire all their pages no, that, clearly have see, just been it's, redesigned. It's such a great. This is great. You know, I'm going to I am using this. Okay, yeah, you'll have to document all the screen captures for everything. Anyways. No, I'm using this next week in my class. Oh, okay, okay. But you should also do, screen, screen uh, capture in case they fix it. Um, um, well, yeah, I mean, and this is what happens when you, 
you don't you don't have either you don't have UX people working there, or uh, you and maybe this goes to this this cross department thing yes, because absolutely. we have seen you know and in, in this process. We started at Wisconsin.gov, but then we were at Wisconsin DNR, and then we were at the new Go Wild. You know, we were obviously these are like little silos, and they're developing their experience, um, but they're not realizing that people are navigating in and out and in and out, and it doesn't. Or they might realize it, but not have any control of it, or not have any way of mitigating that. I mean, it is the moral equivalent of a bank having. a link for mortgages and a link for yeah. checking accounts yeah. and a link for car uh, yeah. loans. Sil- and, siloed yes. departments. Yeah, it is exactly the same thing. Uh, and so, But somebody is not doing, but somebody in the organization, whether you're private sector or public sector, somebody should have the responsibility for at least checking the basic, you know, doing basic, not, right, e- hold on, hold on. not even user testing, just do a cognitive walkthrough. So for hold, on, sakes. hold on, I understand. We did this whole thing. So what would it take from, from the behind the curtain? Oh, this the was curtain? the question. This yeah. is behind the curtain. Yeah, this yeah. Is so you, I went through yeah. this not to say that it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. I just want to know, okay, so so if, if what is it going to take for the state of Wisconsin to make this as simple and easy as what? We would consider, you know, a, you know, B plus A grade user experience to get a fishing license online. That's super easy. I don't know because I'm really distracted by watching this girl on the sailboat. There's a lot of <laughs> yes. There's a lot of leg. <laughs> um, uh, okay, in my experience, uh, what it would take is uh, a concerted and coordinated. Uh, effort across the state government to um, to unify the experience that there should be agreement that you know um, Wisconsin residents shouldn't have to figure out how to navigate different agencies and departments in the state government to get a fishing license. And also, while uh, there may be different initiatives, <laughs> like, I don't know, what is gold wi- Go Wild anyway? Um, uh, <laughs> for fishing, hunting, and trapping information and certifications and licenses. Um, like, how would you ever know to go there? Uh, that uh, instead of being centered on what the government wants to tell people, they need mm-hmm. to focus on what people are coming to government for. Um, and that's a, that's a pretty fundamental shift. And so what you're seeing here is that there's a state government that owns the, the homepage at wisconsin.gov and that there are different agencies that uh, make up that government. They're probably um, cabinet level agencies that report up to the governor. And then within each of those agencies are departments and initiatives and they each get their own websites 
And so they're not coordinated across the experience. And it's, it's kind of rare, honestly, to look across any given set of goals or tasks uh, that a user might come to a government website for and um, actually examine <laughs> all of the touch points and uh, to try to close those themes. It's really been in the last, I would say, 10 years that, uh, that any governments have started doing that. And uh, uh, that uh, some of the websites within uh, the state of Wisconsin actually do look and feel fairly modern. And to be fair, the account lookup is um, an, an, a not bad authentication page. Correct. Correct. Would, yeah, you, would, you, would they need to pass a law to consolidate these things? So they have to direct funding? Is this funding? Um, yeah, they definitely need funding. Uh, uh, I don't think they'd have to. They pass probably would not have to pass a, a law. And in fact, it's probably a bad idea to pass a law because laws often are over prescriptive about what to do and how to do things. Um, uh, and one of the things that you want to do is make them future tolerant, right? So while uh, this experience is definitely uneven in terms of its modernity and usability and accessibility, uh, it's not terrible. Mm -hmm. um, Although I have and, to say that this, this process we just went through was like the first choice in, in your central line of vision, <laughs> it was the first thing you could click on. Yeah. So one of the things that you're seeing is what are the political priorities of the person who runs the state? Um, For people and, to go fishing or not go fishing. Uh, Wisconsin's uh, biggest industry is tourism. I happen to know yeah. that. Yeah. I happen to know. Uh, and so... Uh, uh, it is fascinating. Well, it is right now, but apparently it's going to disappear with this, <laughs> because it's so hard to get a fishing license. Uh, or uh, there's so much road construction that you can't actually get to a lake. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's the second choice. And then there's register business and, and driver's license uh, as uh, the other three links uh, on the homepage. Oh, and a link that says give up now. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah so, so yeah. Dina, are you are you are you very excited about this new opportunity? Is it overwhelming though? It is wildly optimistic. It's pretty audacious, Great. and yeah, it's totally overwhelming. Uh, so, uh, in this startup, we're going to be working on different policy areas, and so. I, as uh, one of the founder partners of this effort, uh, who is the, the lead on user research and user needs, uh, I have to know enough about each of the policy areas to help mm -hmm. each of the teams develop their, uh, their research plans and to find participants and mm -hmm. to... Uh, coach the people inside the agencies to get new skills around um, UX and design. Uh, and so uh, fortunately, I really do love the deep dive 
<laughs> to um, into the policy area and uh, what learning what the constraints are, especially the tech constraints, but also the the legal constraints um, and how they interact is just is fascinating to me. So, um, for example, I've been my my current deep dive has been around student loans and uh, how they work and how repayment plans work and don't wow. work. And That's important. Yeah, so just learning about how people fill out the the FAFSA, the the name of which I can never actually remember, except that it's the free federal, application federal, federal aid student aid, ID, aid financial student. I, well, I don't know. Yeah. No, the first F is definitely free. Free application for federal student. Oh, really? Aid. Aid. I think something like that. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, free application. That was the right. for federal student aid. There you go. Right. Um, so the Department of Education has made a lot of improvements to the underlying processes and how the tech works. They're undergoing some pretty big changes internally uh, in the systems that uh, support this process right now. Uh, and uh, so they have some pretty big challenges. Uh, but a thing that surprised me that I learned the other day is that you can't just make a change to the federal form and make things better for people who are applying for federal student aid because 32 states use the exact same form mm. <laughs> for state uh, for state student aid. Uh, and if you change the federal form, you're going to muck up a, the a lot of stuff. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I love your uh, wild optimism. It's refreshing. <laughs> uh, um, thanks. I, I uh, it keeps me alive. <laughs> now, are you gonna? Are you gonna still be? I, I mean, I know in the past you've been pretty active, haven't you, on the speaking circuit and talking about your work? Are you still gonna be able to do that with the new job? Yeah. Um, I ha I am. I will uh, expect to be telling a lot more stories about how wonderful government is learning more and better how to pay attention to user needs. Yeah, that'd be great. Do you have any Do you have any talks coming up that we should know about? Yeah. Um, thank you for asking. So uh, at the beginning of March, I'm going to be at the Code for America Summit in uh, D.C. Uh, talking about the the voter journey. I'm never going to stop talking about the challenges to voters in in the United States, uh, and all the work that uh, the team at the Center for Civic Design has done over the years with thousands of voters and election officials to understand really what that experience is like. And uh, and uh, how people make decisions about whether to take part. Uh, so I'll be at Code for America doing that. Uh, I will be at the IA conference in New Orleans. That's information uh, architecture. Yes. Uh, talking about how um, the, call, the talk is called uh, something like making new mistakes. This is a this is actually a talk about second order effects. So we're trained as designers, as UX people, to be laser focused on our user, like to get things right for our user. 
But if we do that, what are the risks of getting that right to the other people and organizations and institutions in, in that ecosystem? Uh, what ripples out from getting it right for, for that user? And this is a partly uh, um, an ethics conversation as well as a, um, a way of thinking about design uh, beyond just the immediate interaction because mm -hmm. the, the small design decisions actually have really big effects out in the world. Mm -hmm. uh, so those are two that are coming up. Uh, I live outside Boston and in the middle of March, I'm going to be speaking at the local ACM slash IEEE uh, monthly meeting at MIT. Uh, um, we're going to talk about the voter journey again and probably about all the crazy stuff that's come up in the Iowa and Nevada caucuses uh, because the people who come to that meeting are some of the nerdiest people I've ever mm -hmm. met. And <laughs> um, they will have a lot of questions about how that tech did or did not work. Yeah. Okay, great. That sounds great. Well, I hope our paths cross again before too long. I hope so too. I hope yeah. I hope uh, whoever gets elected in the next election makes you czar of uh, uh, user experience of government sites. <laughs> that would be really I great. I think that's a great idea. I it would be my idea. thank you. That's very nice. I appreciate that. I it would be my fondest wish to have a chief design officer in the White House. Mm. Our chief experience officer. Okay, White House. House, are you listening? <laughs> That's what you need to do. Hey, yeah. so if people want to get hold of you, Dana, what's the what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, you can find me at my website at danachisnell.com or you can email me at uh, dana.chisnell at gmail.com. And we will, if it's all right with you, we will post that when we post the, the podcast episode. Absolutely. If Thank anyone uh, out there needs to get in touch with us, again, our email is always info at theteamw.com. Dina, thanks so much for joining us. Great conversation. And I'm so glad there are some optimists out there because that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, the only thing I could tell you, Susan, is to move to a different state. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm going fishing. Good idea. Um, thanks for this conversation. I really appreciate it. And Guthrie, I especially appreciate your, your challenge. That was of course. fun. That's what I do. All right. Thank you so much. And, uh, Bye. Thanks, everybody. Bye.